Hello everyone, this is Blake, just checking in with the producer's note. You'll notice on this conversation that the sound quality is not quite to the level that we like to provide for y'all. We had some technical difficulties going into this recording, which was over a year ago, and so bear with the sound. You'll notice that the ending is a little bit abrupt, and that is because this week when I was producing the episode, we found out that the call was not completely recorded, and that part of the end of the conversation was cut off. So. Enjoy what we have. Uh, we'll invite Josh back uh, for another episode at some point, but I think you'll still enjoy what we have here. Welcome to So Gross, Such Point, Much Blank, the compendium of everything having to do with the classic 1997 film Gross Point Blank. I am Blake Collier, and with me is my beautifully unshorn co-host, Joe George. No, sir. Today? I got a haircut two days ago. My first in months upon months upon months. It looked like I murdered Cousin It at my feet, for it, a timely reference. So so you actually Wait, no. went to Is Cousin It the hairy one? Who was the yeah. hairy one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, yeah. that's cousin. Yeah, great, yeah. Great. So, no, no, so I got a haircut. Went to the barber shop. I did go to the barber shop. Yeah. You have COVID. Um, potentially, but <laughs> now so does everybody else there. No, oh, I don't yeah. have COVID. We, we were masked. I, I washed up. It was fine. Are we like talking like the masked Avenger, like on a uh, Watchmen? Are we? What 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 kind of masking did you do? Uh, you know, it wasn't too far off from that. Now that you <laughs> mention it. <laughs> It was more like the lube man from Watchmen, oh, so man. Okay. it was right. it was awkward, nice. but I tipped well, so no, I got a haircut. I don't ever want to hear you say lubed and tipped <laughs> ever again at the same time. <laughs> oh, that's the only thing you're going to hear every time you close your eyes. So we're going there, huh? Nice. So with us tonight is one of the hosts of the internet's only Star Wars podcast, Home One Radio. <laughs> And staff writer and podcaster for Real World Theology, Josh Crabb. Josh, how does it feel to have gotten in on the ground floor of the Star Wars podcasting game? <laughs> the facetiousness you are exhibiting right now is just typical Blake, all right? Well, no, no, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's the only Star Wars podcast I listen to, religiously. <laughs> and I don't like Star Wars, so yeah. that says a lot. <laughs> I know, and I slapped you in the face by not having Blaine back on since we started back up after the COVID shutdown. Yeah, no, don't worry, Blaine got a good earful on that one, so. <laughs> <laughs> he'll he'll make his comeback. We just got shipped a book that comes out at the end of the month that we feel a huge obligation to talk Gosh. about together, so it, it'll bring us back together and hopefully stay that way. So, so yeah. So Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where you uh, at? You know, what is life like for you in in, in this wasteland of America? <laughs> it's uh, it's been pretty horrendous. Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I I guess a little bit about me. So I I 
clearly have set a precedent by starting a Star Wars podcast. Uh, as as you mentioned, y- you and I are. I I refuse to say that we're still not colleagues at Real World because you will not stop writing there, even though you've technically stepped back on from being on staff. You know, so we're we're well connected in in those worlds. I mean, I don't know what what's relevant to a podcast about uh, gross point blank. I'm from Wisconsin, which is right next oh, to Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so that that's that's cool. Uh, I grew up in Milwaukee, which is kind of a stank hole like Detroit. <laughs> so okay, there we go. Two relevant things that connect me to Gross Point Blank. I am white and have brown hair like John Cusack. Uh, I I too think Mini Driver is attractive. <laughs> uh, I I don't know what else. I just keep going. But anywho, uh, yeah. So. You and I have been connected for for quite a while through Real World Theology, yeah. where I write and uh, podcast as well. We are mutually connected by the friend Mr. Blaine Grimes, who is my co-host at Home One Radio, our Star Wars podcast, which, as we said, is groundbreaking. Uh, that'll it be is. in the logline of our Twitter now, groundbreaking Star <laughs> Wars podcast. You know, because because also something that Star Wars podcasts tend to do is conf- or is like inflate their own egos. Uh, and say that they're important when they're actually not. Because even if you have hundreds of listeners, that's not saying very much in the Star Wars podcasting world. Because Star Wars podcast listeners are a, are a strange group. You have everything from oh. the people who listen to every conceivable Star Wars podcast, which seems unfathomable to me. I barely have time to listen to my own, uh, much less other podcasts. I think I only listen to about a good handful on a regular basis. But then there's you know people that listen to Star Wars podcasts who don't like Star Wars, like Blake. Yeah, it's true. That's a thing I do. It's, it's I'm the weirdo. And it's flattering. I always look at our podcasting t- statistics, and I know every single week one of those downloads <laughs> is someone who could care less about Star Wars, and it warms my heart. It warms the cockles of your heart. Yeah, it does. It does. I tell Libsyn very affectionately that should at least quadruple my numbers because of Blake. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. I will take it. Well, I'm glad you're here because I'm Thank a Michigander. You. And so, mm-hmm. you know, talking to this Oklahoman slash Texan about a movie that takes place in the Midwest, he doesn't get it. So, I know. Isn't he so, oh, good boy, easy to get along with? It's irritating. No, he, no, he talks about guns all the time. <laughs> it's constantly about the guns. I'm trying to tell him about my favorite pop and my favorite hockey team, and he's is nothing. So... You ever seen a Magnum 357? (laughs) (laughs) You ever seen the hole that a Magnum 357 puts in a person? Can't say I have, Blake. No, (laughs) no, sir. Me neither. (laughs) Also happen. I also happen to be a pacifist. So there you go. (laughs) Now there's your movie. (laughs) So Josh, you're here tonight because you have watched Gross Point Blank for the first time. You're you're one of the of, of the few. They have never seen this film until recently. So mm-hmm. when did this film come to your attention and what is your history and relationship with John Cusack's filmography in general? <clears throat> well, my uh, relationship with Gross Point Blank is that you talked about it a lot. And I was always <laughs> like, I should probably watch that. And I never did because um, I don't know. It, it came during this weird time period of the late uh, 1997, right? Mm-hmm. OK, so, yeah, kind of like the late 90s. I didn't see everything in the theaters yet because I wasn't like a, a fully fledged teenager who went to everything. Because I think at that 1997 was still the I couldn't go to a PG-13 movie on my own yet. 
thing. Gotcha. So so it wasn't quite to the place where it's like, yeah, you know, my friends and I just remember going to movies every weekend once we were 14, 15, 16, because, you know, there was no streaming services back then. So you had to still go to movie theaters. And it, I think that also is when the special editions of Star Wars came out. So I think that's the only thing I saw in the theaters for a while, too, in 1997 uh, was those movies. And not Gross Point Blank, but it's kind of strange because I, having seen Gross Point Blank, I have no idea why I didn't see that movie. It seems very, very much up the alley of like what my friends and I would do, you know, like my AV club high school friends would do on the weekends uh, is, is watch those kind of movies. You know, it seems yeah. to it seems to very much, even though it's a little bit smarter than maybe some of the movies we watched when we were 14 and 15 and stuff like that. It felt like a movie that was like, ah, I think my friends and I would have really liked this, but oh, yeah. maybe, yeah, like I said, it's a little bit smarter and a little less violent than mm-hmm. maybe some of the movies we were watching when we were kids, uh, which is terrifying to say with two middle schoolers. <laughs> um, Can you contextualize that, uh, that for us a little bit and give us a taste? What was, uh, in the DVD player at 15 or I, I specifically, re- I specifically remember, uh, like one of the movies that I think everybody was, uh, around that time, I think 98 was fight club mm-hmm. or no, that was 99. So that would have been when I was probably 14 or 15. So that was, it was kind of like that spirited away was another mm-hmm. one that I remember mm-hmm. seeing. And, uh, my friends and I love that movie and no one appreciated that movie in our high school, except for a number of us. I mean, not a number, but just like maybe pockets of, you know, sophomores and juniors and seniors that liked it. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of like the fodder. I think of, um, I mean, we, we loved like the matrix and those, those, uh, I forget what the name of those matrix cartoons that were released oh, shortly the after animatrix. Yeah, yeah. Animatrix. That's it. Um, and I think that led us to really like the movie, which did not hold up very well when I watched it again, um, Equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that movie was so awesome when I was a kid and I watched it again. I was like, oh, it's so, it's all right. It's not great. You know, just thinking like gun or like gun food was like the coolest thing ever. And it's not that great. <laughs> but, but it has Batman in it. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a uh, free Batman Christian Bale. Yeah. yeah I, so, I, I mean, I think that's a taste. I'm sure there's there's a lot more stuff in there that I just yeah. can't think of off the top of my head. So I think Spirit Away led us back to like Studio Ghibli movies. That's where my appreciation for Studio Ghibli started. Okay. Uh, that kind of remained dormant for a while until I started having kids. <laughs> and then I was like, they need to see those. And then I fully fell in love with Miyazaki so much that the fabled Star Wars Home One Radio episode on Miyazaki and Star Wars finally was a reality. It was actually our last episode yeah. before we had to stop the podcast for a while during the pandemic shutdown. For a long time, yeah, that, was that was, like Blake said, it was like sad going in there every week. And that was the last thing in our feed for about six, no, probably like four and or five months. If you're if you're going to have a final uh, final episode for four or five months, that's a that's a hell of a. Uh, episode to end on so yeah that's a good one okay so what did i talk about i talked about gross point blank familiarity uh what about uh john cusack's filmography oh yeah what's your, uh, what's okay your oh, that, there's, a, there's another one that we would have watched in high school we would have watched high fidelity which was from oh, okay. 2000 mm-hmm. uh that one was probably one i'm pretty sure that we watched at least three or four times because you know high fidelity was like the height of hipster high school cool mm-hmm. you know yep. working in a record store like basically obsessing over soundtracks and uh, Jack Black, so all those things. Yeah, Jack Black. <laughs> I like the, uh, the 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 hesitation and Jack Black. Everyone... <laughs> I was in high you school. You and I, 
You and I are of similar age. But that, I, we, yeah. we were big into Jack Black and oh Tenacious yeah, Tenacious D. Tenacious D. Oh my yeah. gosh, I, <laughs> the pick of Destiny is just like yes. something that I just can't live down. That it's kind of like, all right, Jack Black is super funny, and this album probably was a lot funnier when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, but I just, it's not that great anymore. <laughs> yeah, nope, it doesn't doesn't hold up. It doesn't no. hold up. Um, so, you know, like John Cusack and High Fidelity, uh, mm-hmm. was definitely right. Or, you know, I mean, it's right around that same time period, like three years after Gross Point Blank. I can't really think of a lot of other John Cat- Cusack movies off the top of my head. I just am aware of who John Cusack is and I know that I yeah. like him. Okay. okay. But Mini Driver, yeah. Dan Aykroyd, anything, any of I those mean, guys? Yeah. I, if, if anything from the first watch of Gross Point Blank is that I realized my legitimate love for Dan Aykroyd. Um, you know, maybe I don't, I don't remember if this is pre crystal skull Dan Aykroyd where he's, you know, pitching liquors uh, and paranormal (laughs) paranoia, (laughs) but, uh, he's genuinely great. I mean, you know, obviously like ghostbusters and I grew up watching Mm -hmm. blues brothers. My dad loved the blues brothers. My dad did too. And so it's like, for me, I'll never forget when I was a little kid, my brother and I did this video of the Blues Brothers doing Rawhide for a music project when we were in elementary school. And my elementary school teacher would never, ever, a uh, music teacher would never stop bringing that up, that my brother and I did this Rawhide routine dressed in like full Blues Brothers regalia for this video. Um, I wish it's something that my parents still had because I think that I would be so proud of it even today. But, you know, Dan Aykroyd is is legitimately someone that brings up and makes me think of my dad because of the movies Mm. that he and I would watch together when we were kids. And so uh, this is a little bit of a different role, but still great. There, I think some of my favorite moments in Gross Point Blank are uh, Dan Aykroyd's quips or one-liners or whatever. Yep, that makes sense. That's a that that's a pretty common theme a lot of times. Although we'll we'll, we'll get to the to get to another cr- question that will uh, that will play into him I'm sure as well. Okay. So, okay. Great. Uh, so generally speaking, like what? How did the film work for you? Like what yeah. aspects worked the best for you, and what parts worked the least? Mm. When I was watching the movie, maybe like the first forty minutes of the movie, I was like why does Blake like this movie so much? (laughs) Uh, Just knowing Blake and not knowing you, Joe, uh, knowing Blake, I was like, why does Blake like this movie? And then the last half hour of the movie, I was like, oh, this is why Blake likes this movie. (laughs) It it took me a really long time because that's what I was, that's was just in my head the whole time uh, was I got to figure out why he likes this movie so much. And it it really came became an obsessive point. I really tried hard, like, to watch it and not go back and watch it again because I just wanted to be like, okay, what's going to happen if I watch it just once and what my initial impressions and feelings are going to be. And so I I didn't. And I, I finally feel like it all came to fruition towards the end of the movie. So that being said, having somewhat overlapping tastes with Blake at times, the last half hour of the movie really, really worked for me more than the first, you know, the first act. I felt like the first act was like, oh, okay, this is kind of a little funny and it's setting itself up well, but I wasn't like laughing out loud or anything or like actually laughing at a lot of the jokes. But about at the halfway point is when the jokes started coming that it was like, okay, now it's getting really funny. And I find myself laughing like audibly out loud to myself while watching this movie with no one else watching with me. And I know that I'm watching a movie that I'm, I'm starting to enjoy when those kind of things happen. I'm not just like sort of chuckling to myself yeah. when things happen, but 
but I'm actually legitimately laughing out loud. So that that's that's what really worked for me. I liked when the action started to pick up and it overlapped with the dark humor. Mm-hmm. It feels like that started to pay off sort of John Cusack's whole deal as a character. You know, that he's kind of a funny, quippy guy, but then he's also, uh, you know, actually deadly mm-hmm. and the assassin that he's been made out to be. Because uh, before that, I mean, we only we see him obviously in the opening scene shoot somebody, which I, I like the the turn at the beginning where he uh, shoots a guy on the bicycle. Or is it a motorcycle yeah. or is it a bicycle? It's a bicycle. It's a bicycle. Yeah. Okay. And then it's kind of like, oh, hooray, he saved the guy. And then Dan Aykroyd's character <laughs> just blasts the heck out of all of them. And I was like, oh, this is amusing. But then later on, you know, he basically says, like, oh, I was only contracted to kill that one guy. So you kind of get an immediate sense of what his morality is. Is It's kind of yeah. like, oh, I'm just doing this for the job. I was pleasantly surprised by the, because I, I see that Dan Aykroyd is fourth build. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe he plays just a minor role. But I felt like, because Alan Arkin's pretty highly uh, billed in this movie. And he kind of only plays a yeah. very tertiary role in the film, even though his, I felt like the best Alan Arkin was that first scene mm-hmm. with Alan Arkin and John Cusack. That felt like there was the payoff. Otherwise, there's the rest of the times where it just felt he was a little like it was just a semi added joke, but it wasn't as good as that initial one where he's kind of explaining, like, you just kept showing up at my office yeah. and we a, keep it, having this. Yeah, that's um, a sight gag. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, yeah. And it, it reminds me a little bit of like the relationship between Richard Dreyfus and uh, Bill Murray in yeah. What About Bob, where it's just kind of this uh, you could see this relationship of one of them. Clearly is depending on the other. The other one wants nothing to do with it, but it's it's kind of a, a funnier take on it. Or I guess I'd say a less manic take on it than it is in as the main conceit of What About Bob. The last half hour of the movie really, really worked for me. I was kind of like, okay, if I'm like, if I'm kind of following a, a rating system, I was like, well, this is an okay movie. It's like a three, three and a half out of five. And then it started to go up in that last half hour where I was like, yeah. okay, I'm really, really starting to legitimately enjoy this movie. And so, so having having enjoyed the the last the last act or two, uh, did you find that the first act actually ended like going back and thinking about the first act that it actually played into why the second and third act were so good? Or yeah. do you still find the first act to be kind of separate? No, no, I don't I don't I don't think it's separate at all. It, okay. I mean, it's a, like yeah. any well-written movie that's not like a modern day Avengers blockbuster movie where it's got to yeah. start or there actually has no really start and end after the first Avengers movie. It doesn't really end. Not even Endgame is really ending the series. So mm-hmm. that movie is just still going somewhere in the uh, time, timeosphere, time somewhere, <laughs> somewhere in one of the alternate universes. It's just still going. Uh, yeah. It hasn't stopped since the end of the movie technically ended. But you know what? It, it gives me an appreciation for understanding uh, his his character, some of the sets up. It, it pays off some of the jokes that come later in, in this particular movie. And you know, I, I think what it sets up is it helps me enjoy a little bit more. Uh, I, I think the thing that I liked the most about the first act was Joan Cusack. Yes, great. Uh, yeah. She was really funny and just felt very she felt like she was a unique character, but she also just kind of felt like they're like, just Joan, be you in this movie <laughs> a little bit. And I felt like it worked really well that they just had like a really good connection throughout the film. But I, I really felt like she kind of as as an entertainment level in the first act, she carried it to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed her because she, she does kind of fade into the background a little bit in the final two thirds of the movie. Yeah. 
and uh, I enjoyed that she had a little bit more screen time at the beginning. Uh, and then it just then she just pops up gloriously at the end of the movie, just put, pouring gasoline all over the office and trashing <laughs> stuff. And I'm just like, oh, this is so great. I bet she enjoyed doing as She enjoyed this more than me watching it. <laughs> <laughs> so you're talking a lot about um, how funny you found the movie and, and yeah. you know, it's a comedy that makes sense. Did, did any of the dramatic, romantic scenes work for you or did those all kind of fall fall away and really it's the, the comic parts that work for you? You know, the relationship between Minnie Driver and Joan Cusack, the movie, uh, uh, Debbie and Martin. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's crazy to think that, like, I was waiting because it was getting late in the movie. And I was like, oh, there wasn't really, like, the normal beat of I'm mad at you now, so I'm going to go away. Yeah. And I was kind of enjoying that. I'm like, oh, maybe they're just not going <laughs> to have a falling out. Maybe this is just sort of like, you know, he turns his life around. He, You know, I don't know where it was going. And then when it happened, it felt like, okay, I could see how Blake would like this movie if, like, he doesn't get with the girl at the end mm-hmm. of the movie. Like, somehow it's just, like, it's untenable for them to be together. But I really enjoyed how they managed to to bring the story together to at least make it somewhat, like, they are coming together. I'm trying to think of the actor who played Debbie's dad. Oh, uh, Bart. Um, yeah. Michael, Mitchell Ryan. Mitchell, Mitchell Ryan. Ryan. Mitchell yeah. Ryan. I think the the line at that point, I enjoyed the movie so much when he when Martin asks her to marry him or marry him after <laughs> uh, after he's he's killed all the assassins and everything like that. And he says, will you marry me? And he goes, well, you got my blessing. I <laughs> I laughed out loud and I was like, that was awesome. That was a great joke. <laughs> Um, uh. so, you know, I, I, I ended up really buying their relationship. Like, yeah. I mean, Minnie Driver is just great. I mean, she's charismatic. She's, you know, just does a really good job with this character who is somewhat conflicted, but obviously pretty intrigued by the return of who she basically thought it as everyone kept joking around, like either was kidnapped or, you know, <laughs> dead or whatever, you know, like clearly she still had feelings for him or is entering her life at just the right moment that or they're just entering each other's lives at the right moment that it ends up working out for them. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed how they managed to play that. Cause that, cause after their, after sort of their, I was kind of like, okay, well, I, I could see how this would just, they wouldn't be able to reconcile this. Um, cause certainly I think if you walked in on anyone that you care about standing over a bloody corpse, uh, <laughs> you would be justifiably horrified and upset about it. Yeah. And so, you know, just then obviously equally justifiable uh, desire to be thankful for seeing your father's life. Yeah, I think it, it all ends up paying off really well. There was almost a little bit of sort of a, a high fidelity esque sort of relationship buildup in the first and second act between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, she works at like a radio station and she's doing a, a vinyl only weekend. Mm-hmm. It's just I was very much like this is John Cusack. Definitely yeah. putting his stamp on this movie. Um, Definitely. So, I mean, that's something that I really like about this is there's there's a a likableness to John Cusack's uh, Martin that mm-hmm. I think only really comes out because he did have a lot to do with this particular movie. It wasn't just an acting. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely putting a lot more of himself in it than, say, I'm looking up his most recent movies. Let's see. What's the what's the Great Wall of China one that he does or. Oh, you know, yeah, or or the cell, or yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, his, his, his the last ten years of his filmography has been pretty pretty rough. Blood <laughs> so, money, Arsenal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't see Chirac. I heard he was good in Chirac. Yeah, that's I haven't seen it either. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I know. There, there's 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 a whole like probably five, six, seven years of movies I haven't seen of his. I, I watched oh, really? everything. I watched everything up until Hot Tub Time Machine. Uh, <laughs> that because broke that was you? Last, no, no, I actually kind of liked that movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's stupid as all get out but <laughs> no it's it's not it's not a good movie but but i enjoy it for, for its stupidity so did did this film have any cringe moments for you mm. i'm trying to think if anything really was cringy for me and it's okay if you don't like it's i don't know i mean i can't really think of anything where i was actively like this is definitely a 90s movie where yeah, I've definitely yeah. had the feeling with other movies. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel like the movie was as respectful as it could possibly be of women. Um, there was no, there was no real uh, objectification of women. There was no like any sort of gratuitous nudity or anything like that um, where you're just kind of like, okay, this is clearly just so this woman could take off her clothes. I think, I, okay. Yeah. I think the only part is the part I stopped paying attention to um and i wrote some notes down was like them you know leaving the dance to go to like the nurse's office or whatever and i was just kind of like okay well we got to include this in here don't we we really don't need this at all actually but you know you would think it would be the the airplane thing but i kind of found that actually endearing as as a way to uh, sort of establish their connection yep and sort of like the 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 remaining the remaining vestiges of their high school romance is yeah. kind of in this. Cause you know, I mean, you think about when you're in high school, it's, it's a tad more playful than you are when you're older. Like you think about, I, I mean, I would never, I would do that with like my kid. I'd never think <laughs> about ever doing that with my wife. She would never talk to me again. If I did something <laughs> like that, um, she'd be like, you are crazy. <laughs> but you know, it's just kind of like this enjoyable callback to probably what a little bit of what their high school relationship was like. And it's really one of the only glimpses we get into maybe what they used to share together um, because they're kind of sharing a new thing while still remembering the old. Yeah. And um, I, I really, I, you would think that that would be cringy, but I, I didn't find that cringy at all. I just found the part where it's like, we don't need this movie shorthand for they're connected now of, yeah. you know, having them hook up. Yeah. We don't need that in the movie. I guess I felt like that was it was well, well, well told to me by then that they were both going to make it try and work at that point before he, you know, s- stabs a dude <laughs> with a pen with a pen. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, another I, great uh, line. Thanks for the pen. <laughs> thanks for the pen. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I so I would say that that leaving out the the implication of them uh, hooking up. Yeah. Like I would leave that part out, but I would leave everything in leading up to that part sure. where they're kissing and mm-hmm. she's like, wait, wait, wait a second. And then she slaps him. Yeah. <laughs> like those, those are the elements of their relationship that I, that just keeps me coming back to this movie because I think it's even like the first scene together that they have, like mm-hmm. they're doing this backing away thing. Like they're like trying to figure each other out and then they just start like madly kissing each other and then they back away again. And it's just like this, let's, it's like you said, can they're, they're very conflicted about how, you know, are we still the same people? Like, you know, can we, can we actually just go back to where we were 10 years ago and, uh-huh. and not as if none of this happened, you know? And so, those those elements like yeah but but the the part where she takes off her shirt and the implication that they 
that they, you know, have sex in the mm-hmm. nursing in nurse's office. At that point, I was like, yeah, that really doesn't fit. It actually doesn't fit the tone of of everything that they've led up to that point. Like, it's actually one of the few parts of the movie that I think just doesn't work. But I think the the banter they have before that kind of shorthand, uh, like you said, is is perfect. Like, it's pitch perfect for their relationship. Um, so it's literally just that one move uh, from her uh, that gives the implication. Like, I would have completely taken that out and just had them kiss. Like, keep them in the nurse's office. I don't care. But don't show that. Just let it live up to the imagination of the, of, of the viewer. You, you, we don't need it. So, <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, Joe, would you like to share your cringy moment? <laughs> My cringy moment? My cringy moment, we've talked about this, is the uh, <laughs> the, the kid in the the... the that's with the red wings hat and the headphones and the mullet because that was me that was <laughs> that's exactly what i looked like in 1997 and what i would have been doing in 1997 that's you know besides that, that we talked about this before um the the dan Aykroyd bit doesn't completely work for me i feel like he's Coming in from a Saturday Night Live skit, not exactly in the same yeah, movie. The, uh, Popcorn. You're, like, you're, you're like a daddy figure to me. Well, yeah. I can give you a spanking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, that whole bit. I mean, we've talked about that. Yeah, it's just yeah. that it doesn't it doesn't entirely work for me. He just he doesn't quite gel. I feel like he's in a slightly broader movie, the movie that this could have been. Um, but I've if, talked about that before. If not, if not given a, a good uh, script and and good direction, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It could yeah. have been one of those bad 90s, dark, you know, post-pop fiction, dark yep. comedies that, exactly. that this transcends. And I feel like he was a little bit in that mode. No, that makes sense. You know, Blake, combining the last two questions together, I'm going to say, like, part of my quest of watching this movie for the first time was to figure out why you liked it. <laughs> and so, I, fi- I, like I said, I think that I made it click together. But I put together uh, notes on why Blake likes this movie. And I think it's because that Blake probably thinks that he is John Cusack. Um, <laughs> wow. The thought has crossed my mind. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Blake, and look in the, the mirror the and very... say, it's not me. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> this is me. Breathe. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I, <laughs> this... I, I realized that I can almost see uh, Blake's current relationship uh, with his wife actually f- sort of almost following this arc a little bit. Blake kind of thinks, you know, he's a bad boy. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't necessarily killed anybody, unlike John Cusack in this or That's Martin, true. I should say. So I should say he's done more like John Cusack, or like Martin. Uh, yeah, blank. Yeah. He he kind of thinks, you know, he's got that, you know, that kind of that bad boy streak. I very much think that Blake could have just disappeared from whatever hometown he was from. Yeah. And and only shown up ten years later with the mysterious past. Wearing paper pants. <laughs> I, I very much think that uh, it could Blake showing up in town could either go in the direction of a horror film or a dark comedy from the late nineties. And I, I definitely think that his perspective, now wife, uh, has slapped him in mm-hmm. seriousness yeah, sure. and in playfulness and in full full love full romantic love has slapped him in the face and you know he kind of had this he had an an epiphany at some point and and realized that you know maybe it was god yahweh or whatever and uh (laughs) now now he's on the path of, of righteousness and starting a new life
Thank you for listening. If you like what we do, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. Every bit of feedback gives us the ability to expand our audience. Our podcast theme was created by Jans. You can find his music and other projects at jansofficial.com. Our podcast outro music was created by Jeff Hansen. Our podcast artwork was created by Jeff Wiring. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SoGrossPod, that's gross with an E, and on Twitter and Instagram at the same, SoGrossPod. And you can find Blake on Twitter at LostInOsmosis, and Joe at JAGeorge II, spelled I-I. Bing, 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 bang. Popcorn. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>